Good morning to you all. It's a delight to be here in the studio in, in Charlotte. I bring you uh, warm greetings from the members of New Zealand who are very much part of this work and are delighted to share in the, the preaching and the proclaiming of the, the gospel of God to this world with you. I'd like to ask you a question in starting my sermon today, and that is a question of, are you worried? I'm sure that as I speak to you, some of you sitting there and watching this are, are worried in one way or another. It may just be a vague anxiety in the back of your mind, or it might be a strong tension that you're feeling, a strong anxiety. Worry, stress, anxiety, fear, concern, unease, fret, all these are terms that apply to emotional states that I'm going to loosely group under the term worry. In this society today, many things contribute to worry that we all experience. It's a very rapidly changing society. Generations ago, for, for decades, society would remain much the same. There were no great technological advances. Uh, Neighbours remained the same. People didn't relocate, move home, move jobs. Life continued for perhaps decades in a rather steady state. There was stability, but we are in a time of rapid change, and great many rapid changes are taking place around the world, and there's much unease in the world today. In our personal lives, many people stagger from crisis to crisis. Our lives can be jam-packed with work, with activities, with fuss and hurry, things that need to be done, things we can't find time to do. And all this leads to the increases, the stress and the concern and the worry that many people feel. You know, worry is a, is a universal activity. Students worry about exams. Those who are employed worry about whether they'll keep their job. Those who haven't got a job worry about whether they'll find one. Homeowners worry about whether they'll be able to pay their mortgage. We worry about a pain we may feel. Parents worry about their kids, why they out late, what are they doing, what are they getting up to. We look in the mirror and we worry about the grey hairs on our head, we worry about the wrinkles on our face. People who study stress and worry say that we worry generally about several broad categories. We worry about money, we worry about health, we worry about relationships. In this day and age, many people worry about their status in society and related to that is the envy we may feel towards others. We worry about future events. Mark Twain was a man who wrote about this, and he said that my life has been full of worry, mostly about things that never happened. We worry about things that are none of our business. We worry about things that will never happen to us. As I prepared this sermon, I just Googled, what do we worry about? And a paragraph popped up that surprised me, and it said, Women today worry about many things. They worry about their weight. They worry about their looks. But then it went on to say, but surprisingly, more and more women are worrying about prostate cancer. Now, if there's anything a woman doesn't need to worry about, it's prostate cancer. Now, actually, when I opened up the paragraph, I, I realized that it was talking that women were worrying about prostate cancer and their husbands. But it was shocking to me initially to see that women are worrying about prostate cancer. You know, worry and stress, they do have an effect upon us. They have a, an effect of wasting our time, diverting our attention from what could be productive 
and useful and helpful to society, to our family, to our neighbours and to God himself. Worry has a physical effect on us. When we come under stress, our body produces adrenaline, which is a good hormone, a useful hormone, designed to help us react and cope with society, cope with situations, I should say. But when it's overproduced, when it's irregular, when it's regularly feeding into our body through stress, it can have a very detrimental effect upon us. You know, the Bible actually agrees that, that worry and stress, these type of things, can affect us physically. Let's just have a look at a couple of scriptures that, that do relate to this. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 23. Proverbs 17 and 23. You may remember years ago, the Reader's Digest had a page which was laughter the best medicine, and the Bible agrees. Proverbs 17, 22, I should say. A merry heart does good, like medicine. There it is, humor or laughter, the best medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. You know, depression, a broken spirit, concern and stress and a down attitude can affect us physically. Back just a couple of chapters to Proverbs chapter 12. And we see in verse 25, anxiety, which is a broad part of the broad grouping of what I'm talking about of worry. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Did you also know that your personal worry, each of our, our personal worry, can ultimately, if it is allowed to rage, may ultimately affect God's work and our own personal salvation? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the sower and the seed, and, and the longer I have the opportunity to be a pastor the more I realize the truth of this parable. It's astoundingly true. But we'll just look at one verse, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares or the worries or the anxieties or the problems of this world, the, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. He becomes unfruitful to God's work, to his calling, and ultimately this has an effect on our own personal salvation if we allow worry, the cares of this world, to get us down. I want to look first of all at what the Bible has to say about worry. It has a lot to say about worry. I just want to look at Matthew chapter 6 where Christ talks a lot about worry. We won't read the whole passage, but I'll just pick out some verses from this passage in Matthew chapter 6. First. Verse 25, where Christ says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And now verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And in verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You see, Christ's emphasis is on don't worry. And verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. One of the major things people worry about, Christ says, do not worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now those things that Christ told us not to worry about make up a fair proportion of the broad groups of things that humans do worry about. And he is saying, don't worry about them. I think, you know, that's a command from Christ. And I think we're all guilty of breaking that command. Paul said uh, in Philippians, he said, be anxious for nothing. But unfortunately, humans, we humans just seem naturally to get anxious and concerned about things. For some, it's a matter of temperament. Some of us are naturally prone to worry more than others. Some of us are laid back and relaxed and tend humanly to have less worry. I could say that, well, the subject is closed about worry. Christ tells us not to worry. I could close my Bible and pick up my notes and walk away and say the sermon is over. All we have to do is obey Christ. But it's not as easy as that, is it? As I was preparing this, I, I sat down and I thought to myself, what am I doing when I'm worrying? What am I doing? And I thought, well, my, my attention is distracted from the matter at hand. My emotions, they're not elevated, they're down. I'm not achieving. The whole purpose, the whole point of the worry, well, there is no point to it. It's largely futile. It's purposeless. It just has negative effects upon me when I'm worrying. The amazing thing is, as I was thinking these very thoughts, a matter came to mind that happened when I was 18 years of age. I won't tell you how many years ago that was, but when I was 18, a very minor, for me, embarrassing moment that had no lasting effect, but it comes back to mind every so often, and I sat thinking about that, actually, that episode for several minutes. You could say I was worrying about it. And what did I achieve by it? Absolutely nothing. It was just a pointless exercise. Well, as, we, as we've seen, overwhelmingly, the Bible, will, as we'll see, the Bible overwhelmingly tells us don't worry. Now, there are legitimate concerns that we should have. We, we, it's legitimate to be concerned about the welfare of others, of our family. It's very legitimate to be concerned, seriously concerned, about personal sins that we may have. But our concern in these matters shouldn't descend to worry which, is, which eats at us and harms us. What I'd like to do right now is just to look at three things that we can do that, in fact, the whole world should be doing to meet worry. You know, how do we stop worrying and begin to obey Christ? And, and, and one thing we could do is don't worry about things that aren't our business. There are things going on in this world, in your neighbor's life, in your workmate's life, that aren't our business. We shouldn't worry and fret about them and churn them over in our mind. There was a classic case of a person who, who worried about something that was not her business. And when I explain it to you, you'll realize how, what folly it was. In Britain and in other British countries, there's a program called Coronation Street. And there was a particular character on Coronation Street, and a viewer developed a, a liking, a rapport with that character. And uh, the character's husband was having an affair on the side. Now, of course, all the viewers knew about it, but the character, the woman, did not know anything about this affair. And this upset the viewer, and the viewer finally got to the point of thinking, I've got to let my friend, the television character, know about this, and actually wrote a letter to the studio 
trying to get through to the character that her husband was having an affair. Now, what folly? I mean, she was detached from reality, of course. But that concern, that worry about something that was not any of her business, in fact, no one's business because it was just fantasy, caused her quite a bit of concern and worry. So let's not worry about things that aren't our business. Let's not worry about things that are in the past. You know, the past is gone, it's over and finished with. Nothing that we can do now, no amount of worry can affect the past, events that have, have happened. Now, there is a proviso. There are some legitimate things that we should act upon because of what's happened in the past. The past, while we can't change it, alter anything about it, it can affect us and we need to deal with them. But let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Philippians 3:13, where Paul actually addresses this. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or achieved, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, Paul forgot what was in the past, and if you read the account of his life through Acts and in his letters, he had a, a lot of things that must, could readily come to mind and cause some concern and anguish in the present. But he said, forgetting about those things which are in the past, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. So he focused upon what was ahead. I'll come back to how we need to perhaps deal with the past. Well, I can deal with that now. You know, the past, while we can't change it, it can affect us. If it's having an effect upon us, we need to deal with those effects to the very best of our ability. We need to, if damage is being done now by something that happened in the past, we need to do the best that we can to mitigate that damage. You know, maybe it was an argument or, or a grievance that happened in the past. The Bible tells us how we should... Uh, try to re-establish relationships and overcome the, the hurt of the past. We need to do that, but we can't change it. No point in worrying about it. Deal with the effects today. We need to also stop worrying. The world should stop worrying about things you can't influence. If you're a student, you cannot influence what is in the exam. No point in worrying about what might be in the exam. We can't worry about the economy. You know, we shouldn't anxiously worry about the economy. Christ, in that passage in, in Matthew that I read, you can, you can see there, don't worry about the economy or the, or, or the things that, that uh, will come into your life by way of, of worldly goods. Don't worry about them. So there are things that we shouldn't really worry about, but there are things that we should do to meet the effects of them, perhaps, and things in the future. We should prepare to meet things that may concern us. If there's a train coming down the track, worrying about it won't help you. But getting off the track, doing something to, to deal with the, the, uh, the possible train striking you is something that we, we should do. Meet the effects that might come our way, but don't worry about them. Don't anxiously worry about them. Take action to reduce possible negative effects. Many just worry. For instance, the student with an exam paper, which you can't control, can't affect in any way, which is coming down, the, uh, coming down the, uh, the line in a couple of weeks. He needs to study, should have been studying for the whole semester. But if it's that distaste on that, we need to do what we call SWOT. And if it gets through to the day before or the morning before the exam, he needs to be cramming for that exam. There are things that we can do 
but worrying about what's in the exam won't help us. Worrying about the economy is something that is pointless, but there are things that we can do to meet financial effects. For instance, the church has a policy of, of trying to build up a two-month reserve so that if, if income simply stopped coming in, the church should be able to continue function and, and um, fulfill its functions for two months and meet its commitments. And we should be doing that in our personal lives, building up a reserve. Mr Meredith has talked about building up a reserve and following government advice on meeting civil emergencies, such as laying in certain stores of, uh, of non-perishable food and fresh water and a radio and, and various other things. There are things that we can do but worrying about them, looking at the news and, and, uh, and, and looking at the, the appalling weather that's uh, occurring elsewhere and, and worrying about whether it's going to come our way is not something that is really productive, but preparing to meet civil disasters is. You know, some people, they wring their hands and worry. Other people roll up their sleeves and act and seek to mitigate possible trouble. Well, you cannot roll up your sleeves and wring your hands at the same time. What we need to do is, if action is needed, roll up our sleeves, but not wring our hands and worry. Well, those, those little points are things that everyone in the world should do, but we in the church have a different responsibility also. We have additional responsibilities and we have additional help. And there are some overriding things that we as Christians should do when we find ourselves with concerns which we don't want to descend into anxious worry. But there are things that we should do. And the first one of those is we need to focus on the kingdom of God in faith. That's what Paul talked about when he said he looks towards the, looks towards the future. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. And we'll reread the verses that I, I read at the beginning and we'll also see that Christ did tell us he didn't just say, don't worry. He said, he told us how to deal with these things that do cause natural anxiety for humans, physical creatures that we are. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he says, look at the birds of the air. So he said, you know, direct your attention to this, what God is doing for just mere creatures. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they, he says. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And Christ says, now if God, you know, keep this in mind, realize this point, he is saying, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Actually in the Greek I believe it's, he's actually saying there, he's actually calling them, O you little faiths. And that's an interesting point. He's saying, you're little faiths. But he also gives us the clue, doesn't he, as to what we need, to, we need to do. We need to focus on the future, on the kingdom of God in faith. 
carrying on down. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. And those of us who are are converted and, and in God's church and in receipt of the Holy Spirit are no longer spiritual Gentiles. Our Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. All these things shall be added to you. It becomes God's concern and not ours. If We'll just trust in God to provide those things. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Christ gives us pointers. He tells us what we should be focusing on, what we should be looking to, and who we should be looking to when we might be concerned with these natural problems and these natural concerns of human beings. In Matthew chapter 14, we see an example of of worry. It's interesting, at the heart of many of the worries and concerns of those within God's church is the fact that we get our mind, our eyes, off God and off, off his Christ. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 26, and this is the, the, uh, the miracle of Christ walking on the water. But look at this, and you'll see that there's a cycle here. There is fear that the disciples experience, then there's faith, and then there's losing attention on what they should be focusing on, or Peter in this case, and fear returns. So let's look at this as an example that we need to, uh, we need to learn from. In uh, Matthew 14, verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the, on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. So they were terrified at this apparition. They thought it was an apparition coming towards them on the sea, and they thought what it, it was a, what we would know to be a, a, a spirit manifesting itself in some form. They called it a ghost, and people today talk about ghosts. They cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And faith came when they heard that, when they realized who they were dealing with. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, it is you. Command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And at that moment, Peter had enough faith to do something that none of us have ever done, and that's walk on water. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And if he just kept his mind on Christ... He would have been fine. That faith would have stayed. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you little faith, or of little faith, why did you doubt? So you have that, that, that cycle there of fear, a natural human condition. Faith came into Peter's um, life for a few moments. And then he got distracted. He got his mind off, his focus of, off, off Christ. And what happened? The fear returned. When he looked at the world around him, the elements around him, we need to focus on the kingdom of God in faith. Mr. Meredith seeks us, sorry, exhorts us to seek faith as individuals. And he wants us as a church to seek faith and go to God as we'll see who is the provider of faith. Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing. I'm going to read some scriptures now about faith, and I ask you to listen and read them yourselves, out loud to yourselves, if you wish. Psalm 55 and verse 
22. Psalm 55 and verse 22 tells us how we should be dealing, what we should be doing to deal with the problems and the natural concerns that may come towards us. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So there's an instruction as to what we should do when we have these anxieties. It says cast them on the Lord. Let God deal with them. He's promised to. And he shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Over in Hebrews 13, a very well-known scripture that we need to take to heart and, and remember, and it will sustain us through trials that we may face. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Remember Christ said, don't worry about all these material things. Be content, Paul tells us, with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear or worry or get anxious or or, uh, get get up tight and tense about these things. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Then the question, a rhetorical question, what can man do for me? Or do to me, and the answer that Paul wants us to write uh, to say is nothing, because we have that trust and that faith, and that uh, uh, we're looking to God to provide our every need. Uh, finally, in this series of scriptures, First Peter and chapter five and verses six to seven. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So when we feel crushed and burdened down by the troubles of this world that could paralyze us in fear or worry or concern, we are told to cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We have a hymn in which uh, our line goes, we're talking about God, it says, who never slumbers or never sleeps. Now, have you ever tossed and turned at night in worry? Well, we have a God who takes his worries upon himself and it says in that hymn and in the scripture, the psalm that it's coming from, he never sleeps. So what's the point in both of us being awake at night? God is awake on the job. If we can just realize that while we're tossing and turning, worrying about something, God knows and he is, he's awake and he's on the job dealing with our problem. There are literally hundreds of of similar promises in the Bible which we should become familiar with, and these promises, they build faith. should just briefly, you know, understand what faith is. Uh, You know, faith is basically believing that what God says he will do, he will do. And that when God says something, it is true. If we can just understand those two points, grasp them and live by them, that is faith. Interesting thing about faith, it's both a gift of God, we read that in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's a fruit of the Spirit, it's a gift of the Spirit and a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So we all have some faith. We have faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we didn't have faith in his sacrifice, we would have never have, have gone through the, you know, the waters of baptism and confessed our sins and asked God to forgive us. We do have faith, but we can build it, we can increase it, and we can do that by going to God who is the source of all faith. We'll grow more into the likeness of Christ who had absolute faith in God, in his Father.
So we need to ask God for faith and we need to trust in him to provide that faith. We're still dealing with the point of, you know, focusing on the kingdom of God in faith. And this is, you know, that's why I'm dealing so long with faith, because it is a vital point in overcoming the worries and the concerns that we so readily suffer from. Psalm 22, a well-known scripture. We'll just look at the, towards the end of it, Psalm number, not 22, 23. Psalm 23 and verses 5 to 6. This is David. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I never have, but David felt as though he had. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever, You see, he focused in his present worries and concerns, which he likened to the valley of the shadow of death. He nevertheless focused upon the, the future kingdom of God and the time that he would spend in God's kingdom. Philippians and verse 4. Philippians in chapter 4. Philippians in chapter 4 and verses 6 to 7. This is where David's, uh, where Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Excuse me. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God will come. And we go down to verse 9. The things which you have learned and, rece- and, and received and heard and saw in me. So Paul says, look at me, follow me as I follow Christ, as we know he says elsewhere, and these do. There are things that we should do in verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. So God is a God of peace, the opposite of a God of worry and fretfulness and concern. So that first point was, no, focus on God in the kingdom of God in faith. The second point that we as Christians should be doing, the second thing we should be doing to overcome worry and concern is focus on serving God and others. This was Christ's example to us throughout his ministry. You know, from the beginning of his ministry, Christ knew what he faced at the end of it. And how would we live our next three and a half years if we knew that we were going to die the type of death that Christ died, that he knew what faced him. Well, through the Gospels, which you'll be very familiar with, he said in his example of, of just love and service to his fellow man. That's the way Christ occupied himself. And I'm not saying just pointlessly occupied his time, but that's the way he lived and worked. He served his father, and he served others. In Gethsemane, as we'll read, he was actually, humanly speaking, he was in an agony. And we'll see how he dealt with that. He could have been worried. We're just talking about hours before his torture and crucifixion and death. See how he dealt with it. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verses 39 through to 46. See several examples here of the way Christ dealt with what 
for most people would be a, an awful, worrying, worrying, harrowing experience, a fearful experience. See what he did. Verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed them. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray for me. No, he didn't. He said to the disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So his first concern there was to, to, to get the disciples praying for themselves rather than for him. He was the one who was facing death, but he said, you should pray for yourselves. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, he, he, he wanted to do the Father's will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So again, we see that where did he focus? He focused his attention on the Father's will, focused on serving God and others. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. Yes, we're sure he was in agony. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray. And again, lest you enter into temptation, pray for your sake. Not necessarily for my sake, but for your sake. And uh, one of the other Gospels said that Christ's immediate concern when those came to arrest him was for his disciples to, uh, to, to, to protect and, and save them. So the second thing we need to do is to focus on serving God and others. The third thing is to focus on the good and positive things that uh, God offers us. We'll just look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. And verse 8, and I'd urge you to look at this scripture in as many different translations as you can almost to see how they bring out the different flavor and meanings of the, of the list of words that we're going to read. So Philippians and chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, that is just the, the exact opposite of the way this world lives today and that we can be caught up in it. Negative news and, and, and titivation, uh, we can just get dragged along and the, the path is downwards. It's not uplifting, it's not uh, freeing us from worry and concern in the world today, but focusing on these things will indeed help us. And then Paul again says, you know, model yourself to a certain extent on, on me. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. There are things that we should do. And in this day and age, we need to look to the to those leaders that have been tried and tested over the years and follow their example. And if we do that, Paul goes on to say, we've read it before, and the God of peace, not the God of worry and concern and anxiety, the God of peace will be with you. You know, the God of peace, he is the one who gives us peace. He's the one who can free us from the worry that we can suffer from. He can banish worry you know, there are several scriptures I've looked at today which we could try to commit to memory 
and we can draw on them in moments of concern and anxiety and stress. We have an advantage. You and I have an advantage in the battle against worry, an advantage which the world does not have, and that's found in 2 Timothy and chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us it tends to being negative. It wants to, sorry, tends to being positive. It wants to lead us continually to positive things, to helpful things, to uplifting things, to buoyant things, rather than to the negative and the fearful and the anxious. So we have this head start that the rest of the world doesn't share, and we need to build on that spiritual foundation that's given to us through the Holy Spirit. You know, we are promised, we needn't doubt it, we are promised trials and tribulations. Christ promises us them. But we are being prepared for a great and a, a wonderful and purposeful future. Let's look at First Peter and chapter 4 as we draw towards our conclusion. First Peter and chapter 4. I'm always, uh, I'm always amazed at how honest Christ is in, in the Gospels when he, when he is calling people. And he tells them, there, is, there are trials, there are troubles ahead. And Peter says, that's true. Peter experienced them, uh, the church was experiencing them, and yet they weren't to get worried and anxious and overly concerned about them. First Peter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And I haven't experienced what I could call a fiery trial, and most of us haven't. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And we see how he bore up under his sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, uh, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. And we don't feel blessed if we're criticized or persecuted for Christ usually, but it's a blessing for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you the uplifting spirit, the buoyant spirit. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief or an evildoer. And indeed, if we're guilty of those type of sins, then we should be worried about the, the outcome, what the outcome may be, both in this society today and in the future, if we continue in those sins. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. I said a lot of people worry about matters that aren't their concern. And that is what Peter is talking about here. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God not worry, not fret about it, not get anxious about it, not, not throw away our salvation over it to ease our present suffering, but commit our souls, our lives to him in doing good. This is one of the things we should strive to do, to do good as to a faithful creator. That's a, an example of the way Peter lived, who, who also knew we believe the, the death that he was to suffer. 
In conclusion, let us look at Mark, uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. Romans chapter 8, 17, where it says, If we're children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. So we may suffer things now that could cause concern and worry and anxiety and strength, but we suffer now that we may also be glorified together. Focus upon the future kingdom of God, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And finally, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. You're very familiar with the scripture. All things work together for those who, for good, to, for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we are called to a great and a wonderful purpose. We have a promise here. Remember, faith is believing promises like this. You know, worry and stress Anxiety is the bane of many people today. We all worry to some extent, even though Christ commands us, tells us not to. It's the habit of worry that we must overcome. It diverts us from productive, godly, serving activity. It hurts us spiritually and physically. The solution, as I've covered today, is to focus in faith on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Build on the faith that you already have if you're in God's church and seek more at the source of that faith, which is the God of peace.